الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونعوذ به من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا اللهم لك الحمد في السراء وفي الضراء ولك الحمد على كل حال وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله لا معبود بحق سواه لم يتخذ صاحبة ولا ولدا له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض وهو على كل شيء قدير وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وعزيزنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله وصفيه وخليله فسيكفيكهم الله وهو السميع العليم صبغة الله ومن أحسن من الله الصبغة ونحن له عابدون من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له أما بعد Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters We have been in the course of the past 34 years in this position At this time Every week Trying to impregnate the Muslim mind with the meanings that came to us via Allah's Prophet may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and upon his we've tried and we continue to try to make the Quran and the Prophet pertinent to our individual lives, our community lives, and our collective lives. To that end, we have been forced for an extended period of time to deal with issues that have been imposed on us issues that are costing us lives costing us the consequences of bad feelings and hatred One of those issues and the primary issue has been sectarianism. You've heard us speak at this time 
from this position trying to expose and bring to light the fact of those who want to divide the Muslims and have them fight each other and kill each other so that we cannot breathe the elements of freedom into our lives freedom justice and liberty into our lives you especially you who have been listening to this these khutbas for all of these years you know by now that the muslim mind is either inactive or lazy i'm speaking specifically of the muslim mind the muslim public mind it's been inactive it's been lazy it's been on leave it's been absent from all of the ayat from virtually all of the ayat and all of the hadiths that have to do with power and authority we are not exaggerating and we are not emotional when we say the truth and because of this gap this huge gap and flaw in the muslim mind it's become almost impossible for the average khatib or the average speaker or the average imam it's become almost impossible for him or her to approach the vital issues that are talked about today and one of those vital issues is the issue of immigration you hear in the news from your friends from here and there you hear about the policies that are being thought through by those who are in positions of power and authority displacing in theory systematically displacing in theory and practically displacing in the real world Allah's power and authority they can't get away with it they think they can but this is what they've been doing and this is what we the Muslims with our masajid all around the world with our khatibs from country to country and from community to community we've been looking the other way now I challenge you whoever is hearing this khutbah wherever you may be far or near I challenge you to listen to a cogent Islamic presentation of the issue of immigration from the Quran or from the Sunnah you'll probably never hear it what you will hear are some Muslims who have become politically motivated who will either espouse and most of them will they will espouse 
a position to defend what is called illegal immigrants or undocumented workers. Those words don't come from a vacuum. They come from a thinking philosophy. Whether it is to the left of the political spectrum or whether it is to the right of the political spectrum. But we, not thinking for ourselves, any Muslim who wants to speak about this issue, begins to use terminology that doesn't belong neither to the Quran nor to the Sunnah. They begin saying undocumented workers or they begin saying illegal immigrants. Which just by the choice of words tells me and you that we are not thinking. We don't even have our own words to diagnose an issue that everyone is talking about. And what do they want to do with those they call, they say there's about 11 and a half million. We don't want here to begin to take issue with the numbers that they present. We're going to take that as a sort of granted. These numbers, okay, let's say 11 and a half million individuals living in this country without proper paperwork. And they say that these have to be basically expelled from the country. And there's been raids in certain cities, in certain states, against those who don't have, we are told, they don't have their proper legal papers to work and to interact with society as all others do. To begin, just to begin to open this door of discussion, we just make reference to an ayah in the Qur'an that says, to two ayat in the Qur'an. One of them says, قُلْ سِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ This ayah is speaking to Allah's beloved Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam and says, say to them, سِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Move, walk, advance, into the world. Al-Ard can mean the world and it could mean land. There is no barriers in understanding this ayah, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing a world without frontiers. There should not be any military barriers or any political frontiers or any geopolitical boundaries to any pieces of land in this world. And we should have, we meaning everyone in the world, not just Muslims, all people, they should have the right and they should have the opportunity to go wherever they want in the world. Another ayah says, 
ألم تكن أرض الله واسعة فتهاجر فيها You know, there's a group of people who complain that كنا مستضع The ayah says كنا مستضعفين في الأرض But we were overwhelmed We were overpowered on earth in the world in the countries that we were in we couldn't do anything and the response to this type of mentality and behavior is alam takun ardullahi wasi'atan fatuhajiru fiha wasn't allah's earth world and land as expansive to have you go within it to have you seek new territories new lands new frontiers alam takun ardullahi wasi'a the the ayah infers don't tell me that the world was phobic don't tell me you were suffering a phobia in the world because Allah's world is open and it is wide alam so this is the response to these people alam takun ardullahi wasi'atan fatuhajiru fiha so that you can relocate from a condition of being oppressed of being overpowered of being overwhelmed of being dispossessed and disenfranchised all of these conditions are real people suffer from these types of conditions and allah is saying alam takun ardullahi wasi'atan fatuhajiru fiha but here we are these are allah's guiding ayat and here is the human condition around us we're just beginning to hear about certain law enforcement personnel raiding in certain cities and certain areas in this country and where does a muslim stand on this issue has does the muslim have enough information from Allah and his prophet to deal with this issue and is this issue a temporary issue i mean people are just beginning to discuss it now because there are others who have power and authority who are thinking about strategies and policies to deal with those they say don't belong here in this land or does this have a history to it and will it have a future to it and this brings us back we the muslims it brings us back to ask ourselves necessary questions first of all do we have countries we the muslims who have about as a 2 billion a presence of 2 billion people in the world do we have countries there's about 50 plus 
approaching 60 countries in the world that have majority Muslim populations. How do they deal with people who are undocumented or who are illegal or who don't belong in that country? You ask yourself, look, don't, don't be caged into the traditions that have brought us to where we are. Step forward, move forward, ask yourselves practical and relevant questions. These countries that we have, do they deal with others who have, who in the majority of cases happen to be Muslims? Do they, do they deal with them in the spirit of equality, cooperation, social responsibility, integration? We can't take every country. There's 57 odd countries that are predominantly Muslims. How do they deal? Do we have not issues pertaining to ourselves? Look at the Rohingya Muslims who are told by the Myanmar government, used to be called Burma, they're told, you don't belong here, get out. And the Muslims have been leaving their own country in droves in the tens of thousands they've been dislocated they've been expelled from their homes they are on high seas not knowing what tomorrow will bring them look at the other issues of refugees that we the muslims in particular are suffering from in this world is that word alien to us refugees some media call refugees immigrants. It doesn't matter. We're not going to get into a philosophical parsing of the issue right here. The fact of the matter is there are tens of millions of Muslims who are called refugees. Why? Because we have adapted the secular, God-denying philosophies and ideologies and governments that deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala His power and His authority, some of them in theory and practice, and others in practice but not in theory this is the this this is the fact that we are living how did all of this begin you may ask it wasn't done overnight this took some time to dislocate and to dislodge the muslim from his quran and from his umm al quran from his kitab and from his Kaaba.
That's how all of this began. What does Mecca stand for? Mecca stands for inclusiveness. There should be absolutely no barrier between a Muslim and Mecca. Absolutely none. But what has happened in the course of the past couple of hundred years, we've begun to see obstacles thrown in front of Muslims when it comes to Muslims wanting to either go to Mecca for the Umrah or for the Hajj or even go to Mecca to live there. This is where all of the issue is concentrated. When Mecca was nationalized, when Mecca was tribalized, when Mecca was secularized, then we had the spread of this phenomenon all over the Muslim world. And now we are suffering the consequences. We are, the, we are suffering the consequences so profoundly that our ignorance of this matter cannot does not permit us to express ourselves when it comes to those who are called illegal immigrants or undocumented workers here in the United States. That, and we have institutions, masajid, Islamic centers all around the place to nurture our ignorance, to feed our Islamic illiteracy on these types of matters. What are we trying to say? Are we trying to say that to solve the issue of immigrants in this country who don't have proper paperwork, we are going to have to liberate Mecca? Well, in the strategic or in the long run, Yes, that's going to be not only a solution to immigrants here in this country, but to those who find themselves displaced all over the world. When Mecca becomes accessible to all Muslims from anywhere at any time in this world, in our life, but short of that, obviously we can't go tomorrow and liberate Mecca. We, we're still working on liberating the Muslim mind so that the Muslim mind understands that Mecca has to be liberated. A Muslim mind that is not liberated will not be able to liberate Mecca. That's how they worked when they began. That's how it all began. They didn't occupy and colonize the holy lands before they occupied and colonized 
our God-given minds. That's how the problem began. And the problem has been growing in the course of these past few generations until it's beginning to climax right now. The chickens are coming home to roost. They created a displacement problem for the Muslims. Now they are suffering or they are suffering the consequences of this problem that has extended itself to the Americas. And not many people, we've been torn asunder. The human family has been divided in a very serious way that the problems that we are facing as Muslims, refugees, undocumented Muslims, illegal Muslims. You've heard about the waves of people going from Muslim countries to Europe. Not many of them made it to the Americas, but many of them made it to Europe. Everyone's looking at this movement of people and they're afraid, they tell us, they are afraid that there is a Muslim invasion, a demographic invasion. Afraid of what? Muslims, human beings are human beings. Are you afraid of another human being? Why do you suppose and why do you think that Muslims by nature are terrorists, troublemakers, breaking the law, raping, all of these other adjectives that they present to us in the media. This is attached to the Muslim. Do you know? Do you know what Muslim is? And if they don't know, has the Muslim himself presented his character, his lifestyle, his thoughts to those who don't know him or her. What have we done? This is not a one-way avenue. They want us clustered into such masajid, just like this. What do they say in the khutbahs on Fridays when they don't speak to these types of issues? So we come back to square number one. Square number one. This is what happens when Allah's power and authority are omitted from practical life and are replaced by man's power and authority. This is what happens. These are the results that we get. And our leaders, our imposed leaders, dictators, despots. What is their position on all of this? 
they are in the hands of their masters and their bosses. They say what they are told to say and they do what they are told to do. Let us ask when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tattakhidhu al-yahuda wa nasara awliya. O you who are firmly committed to Allah, don't ally yourselves with Zionists and imperialists. When the ayah is telling us something like this, how do the rulers and their apologetic class, how do they respond to this ayah? Simple. They use, instead of using the word Zionist and imperialist, they use the word Jew and Christian. And so now the Muslim mind is off course. It's not understanding what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is communicating to him or to her. And they hide behind this convenient, misleading translation of Allah's ayahs. They hide behind that. And what gives them ammunition to go on doing what they are doing is our contributing ignorance. We ask these rulers, to wake up to reality. We know no one they're not going to listen. But this is for the record. We want a clean conscience. We ask these rulers in the Arabian Peninsula in Muslim countries who are dealing with the same problems that their masters are dealing with. Remember in the occupied holy land in Palestine there are illegal Palestinians, undocumented Palestinians. And this is not a recent development. And no one calls them that. I would think if you review all of the literature, you will not find any reference that puts these two words together. Illegal Palestinian or undocumented Palestinian. Because if these words, just the combination of words together, begin to build bridges, then a person living here will begin to understand there is a similar problem in Palestine. Undocumented Kashmiris, undocumented workers in Kashmir, illegal immigrants from Kashmir, then we begin to see, wait a minute here, there's a larger picture. There's more at work than meets the eye. But they will not do that. They will not give us a little insight into what they have been up to. So we ask these rulers who are in our own territories, our own Muslim turf, we ask them, how long are you 
going to be satisfied with eclipsing Allah's power and authority and relying on the power and authority of those who are against Allah. Have you not learned some lessons just in our lifetime? Forget about the history accessible to us in the Quran, just in our lifetime. Look at what, what happened to Marcus. Marcus was one of the closest allies of Al-Yahud and Al-Nasara, Zionists and imperialists. What happened to him? He died in exile. What happened to the Shah of Iran, who was the darling of the Zionists and the imperialists? What happened to him? In the last couple of years of his life, he was like a royal tramp in this world, not knowing which country to go to. And he was the darling of the Zionists and the imperialists. Noriega in Panama. He was a major asset of the Central Intelligence Agency. A major asset. They relied upon him. They put him to become the head of state in Panama. Where is he now? He is prisoner number 41586 in a federal prison in Florida. This was their darling. One of their main architects, that Yahudi shaitan who's living his last years or months in life, used to be national security advisor in the Nixon administration, and then secretary of state in the Nixon administration, and then the engineer or the architect of the Camp David Accords. This person said, it is dangerous to be an enemy of the U.S. But it is deadly to become a friend of the U.S. These are not my words. And do we have any of our decision makers on their thrones and in their palatial mansions? Do we have any of them learning or does Islam require them to close their mind? Our first word from Allah Jalla wa'ala is Iqra. Read. I have them. They don't read. Is anyone in their khutbahs on Friday do they take slavery? There's a history of slavery. They talk about immigrants and undocumented people. Well, how about forcing people out of their country and their continent, bringing them across the Atlantic Ocean when there were probably tens of thousands who perished in that journey throughout those many years. What does the Bible, right now we have a conservative administration, 
Republicans, the right, they speak about God and they speak about scripture and this. How does this history sit in your understanding of God and your understanding of scripture? Explain to us. And who will turn out to be the real danger to society? When the Soviet Union collapsed, 10 individuals, most of them Yehudis, they got hold of half the resources and the wealth and the assets of what used to be the Soviet Union. They virtually had a monopoly on the Soviet economy. What happened after that? The corrective movement that happened after that. Is that on the radar of any of those making decisions for we the Muslims? They don't learn. They don't learn from the United States. They don't learn from the Soviet Union. China that is thinking about alternative an alternative financial and economic system to the world that bypasses and excludes the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, two institutions that are driving poor people into further poverty, hungry people into further starvation. Where are we the Muslims in this arena? Do we have anything to offer? We will never have anything to offer as long as people occupy and colonize our masajid and don't speak truth to power. A little minuscule country, minuscule on the scale of countries in the world, Lebanon. What is Lebanon? A population of four and a half million people, an area of maybe 10,000 square kilometers. Its president, they just installed a new president after a couple of years of their inability to do so. He said the following. I will not quote it in Arabic as it will take some time, but I'll give you the translation of its meaning. Lebanon has thrown the yoke of Zionism and imperialism off of its back and its shoulders. And now there's a fighting force in that country that has mesmerized the intention, the attention of the Zionist colonists of the Holy Land. He says, the time when Israel used to produce aggressive policies against our country without any consequences, that time has gone forever. And any attempt by the Israelis to infringe and assault the sovereignty of Lebanon or expose Lebanese people to danger will be counteracted with 
the appropriate response. And when the people of Lebanon, Muslims, Palestinians, or others, when they speak, the Zionist imperialist enemy listens because they're not bluffing like those who parade in Islamic costumes in Jazirat al-Arab when they are the minions of the enemies of Allah and His Prophet and the committed Muslims. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la tattakhidhu al-yahuda wal-nasara awliya Zionists and imperialists are not your allies. وَمَنْ يَتَوَلَّهُمْ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنَّهُ مِنْهُمْ And whoever becomes their ally becomes one of them. What do they have to say to the meanings of this ayah? What do they have to say to the history of Allah's Prophet? May Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ودعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله غافر الذنب وقابل التوب شديد العقاب وإليه المصير الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed brothers and sisters They have institutionalized and hierarchical official establishmentarian Muslims, meaning the kings and the presidents in our Islamic sphere. They have alienated us from our prophet and from our maker. And now we are on our own. In the news in the past 24 hours or so, some racist in the Midwest pulls out a gun and he shoots two Indians, meaning two individuals who come from India, the subcontinent of India. He kills one of them. These are not Muslims, as far as I can tell from the news reports. But to this person, to the racist, they don't belong. They are foreigners, troublemakers and potential terrorists. So he pulls out a gun and he shoots both of them. He kills one and the other is in the hospital. Should this not be on the Islamic radar on Fridays? This is a beginning. 
what will happen next month and next year if the trend continues like this and we bury our heads in the masajid. The masjid has become a place where a Muslim goes on Friday and buries his or her head. So we can't speak in the context of the Quran and the Sunnah. We can't speak about an issue like this. The Zionist war criminal came to Washington last week and he met with the President of the United States. And then they began to produce statements, both of them, that indicate that there's some confluence of policies. And we will see those conf that confluence of policies, we will see, we will see them in the coming weeks and in the coming months. But should, be, should we, the Muslims, be reactive? Should we wait and not think and not organize and not expose aggression and aggressors? Murder and murderers? war plans and war criminals the foreign minister of that idol called Saudi Arabia Israeli Arabia the foreign minister met in Munich a week or two ago and his statement along with the minister of security from the Israeli Zionist nation-state who was also in attendance, their statements indicate that there is an agreement of policies between Saudi Arabia that claims to be the protector of Islam and Israel that claims to be the representative of Judaism. There's going to be an Arab summit in Jordan. There's now instability in that kingdom. Demonstrations, taxes are going up. There's no money coming in from the Arabian rich brothers, Petro brothers. They put aside 2,000 vehicles, 7,000 security personnel. to secure the venue and the personalities, the kings and presidents who are going to attend. Where is that? If you have a Muslim mind, are the, how do you compare these rulers to Umar ibn al-Khattab? A person came to al-Madina from a faraway land and he said, I want to see the ruler of the Muslims. Word had gone around about the humility, the honor, the morality of a Muslim decision maker. He said, I want to see him. They told him, go to the masjid. He went to the masjid. He looked around. He didn't see anyone that indicates that he's a ruler. 
So he asked the Muslim, where is your ruler? We heard a lot about him. He said, look over there, under a tree. There he is. Omar was sleeping under a tree with his head on the ground. The person, when he saw this, he said, Hakamta fa'adalta fanimt. You governed, you governed with justice, and you sleep. No security, nothing. They don't want you to wake up and say, look at the way Muslim rulers rule. That was in the time of Omar. And look at the way they rule today. They can't move without security. They can't breathe without security forces protecting them. They want you, they want me, they want us to open our minds and begin to compare and contrast. No, may Allah forbid. Keep on sleeping, Muslims. That's what they want you to do. Keep on sleeping. And then we have this entertainment committee in Saudi Arabia. An entertainment committee. Remember the advisors and the consultants in the past couple of years flying from the U.S., flying in and out of Saudi Arabia. They told the Saudis, Grow up. Your, your new generation, your population needs entertainment. It's been emotionally inhibited. So they put together an entertainment committee. They call it Al-Hay'a and what is it done? What is it doing? It invites this year two personalities from the United States to go to Saudi Arabia to speak to their restive generation. Who are these two personalities? One of them is Oprah Winfrey and the other one is Al Pacino. Imagine the Prophet of Allah or the Khulafa or the truly guided leaders of Muslims inviting entertainers from Byzantium or from Persia to the Arabian Peninsula to entertain an emotionally repressed population. The Muslims were not emotionally repressed. These are the policies of that Saudi regime. Now a new law has gone into effect. Libyan women cannot travel now without a mahram. For the first time in Egyptian contemporary history, there is a woman who's a governor of one of their governorates, one of their regions. What does this say about us, we the Muslims? 
Tell me, what does it say about us? Do you know that Trump, according to a report in Ma'arif, one of the Israeli newspapers, two of Trump's brothers, they have a license to run the ammonia tank in Haifa for nine years now. Why doesn't this make the headlines in this country? Why are we, and they call them in Ma'arif, the chemical brothers. Why have they been off the radar? And why aren't Muslims who are supposed to know better, why don't they have this information circulate so that we are not fooled by those who are in control of public information and the media. We ask, we pray, we beseech Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have this ignorance recede and to have us follow his words. اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم كلا إن الإنسان ليطغى أن رآه استغنى اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وارزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما اللهم إليك نشكو ضعف قوتنا وقلة حيلتنا وهوانا على الناس يا أرحم الراحمين أنت ربنا وأنت رب المستضعفين فإلى من تكلنا إلى غريب يتجهمنا أم إلى عدو ملكته أمرنا إن لم يكن بك علينا غضب فلا نبالي ولكن عافيتك هي أوسع لنا نعوذ بنور وجهك الذي أشرقت له الظلمات وصلح عليه أمر الدنيا والآخرة من أن تنزل بنا غضبك أو تحل علينا صخطك لك العتبى حتى ترضى ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بك اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد اللهم بارك على محمد وآل محمد اللهم صل على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم اللهم بارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر 
والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله